0: single one of you here today. This is like super exciting for me to see all of you in here, and I want to welcome you into the house of God, and I just want to be clear that the house of God is not this building, amen? The house of God is the gathering of his spirit-filled people in the name of Jesus. Scripture says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that God is building that temple brick by brick and stone by stone. And so every time another person is brought into God's kingdom through faith in what Jesus has done, when a a, a sinner humbly repents and calls upon the name of Jesus scripture says that heaven rejoices scripture says that the angels in heaven essentially are throwing a party when that happens and those reborn regenerated recreated sinners are transformed into a beautiful saint Special, monumental, incredible day to witness and to act out the addition of some more stones to that temple. Right? We're here to rejoice with heaven over every lost sheep that has been found by the shepherd and brought into the fold of God. We're here to partake of the grace that God pours out through the sacrament. Of And as witnesses who surround those individuals, we're even here to impart something of the grace we've been given by God as we minister to them and pray over them in just a little bit. But above all that, beneath all that, and through all that, we're here to exalt the risen King Jesus, who made a way for us to the Father's table. And so need you guys all in with me for the next however long it takes. Uh, Tune out the food cravings. (coughs) Don't check your Instagram. Don't worry about your fantasy football roster. We're here to enthrone the risen king as we partake in this sacrament, right? So before we transition to those baptisms, I want to be concise. I want to get through this, but I want to go back to the text in Galatians. Because where we're at in the story of Galatians specifically talks about baptism. And it's specifically in the context of our freedom in Jesus. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 23, picking up from last week. We've been working our way through this letter, unpacking what can be at times a confusing argument that Paul's laying out. And it's this argument, which he'll get to, uh, the fact that we have everyday freedom in Christ. If you guys didn't know, that's actually the name of the series, Everyday Freedom. Um, So we're we're working our way through that argument. And remember, the Galatians were um, were dealing with people who taught that the Old Testament law was required for Christians. Specifically, circumcision. And so Paul's writing, remember the situation with uh, Peter and Paul in Macedonia that he mentions in the beginning of Galatians where there was division because of these people teaching that circumcision was necessary for Christians. And over the last few weeks, as we've looked at Galatians, we've talked specifically about why the law is insufficient to save us. We talked about why it's incapable we talked about what exactly the law's purpose was to begin with. And so in our text today, in the end of Galatians 3, Paul's going to wrap up that argument about the law, and he's going to transition into this topic of freedom in Christ. And it's that freedom that I want to highlight today as we baptize people. And there's some specific blessings that come with that freedom, specifically that Let's read from the text in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23. Is everybody there? Everybody got a Bible? Amen. Amen. Paul writes, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified, But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to Lord, I pray even now, Spirit of God, that you would anoint the teaching of your word. Lord, would you open up the eyes and ears of our hearts to receive the message of your grace and the freedom that you have won for us. So, Lord, I pray now that you would just teach us and shape us and mold us in Jesus' name. Well, if you guys were of you guys weren't here, but we had the whiteboard out here, and Dan wrote a couple things on it, and I'm not going to put you to the test right now. (laughs) But the point was, the law was never intended to replace God's promise to Abraham, right? It was never intended as a plan B or a plan C. From its inception on that mountaintop glory encounter, when the law was given to the God gave it to reveal something. Those were the two things on the board. The law was given to reveal the extent of our guilt. And beyond that, it was given to reveal the extent of God's mercy. Remember that? So we're picking up right there where we left off last week, where verse 22 says, the scripture imprisoned everything under the law and under sin. Right? We were imprisoned because of the fact that our guilt as humans is so extensive. There's no one that escaped that prison. Now notice as we move into verse 23 today, this idea of imprisonment is emphasized. Go ahead and look at verse 23 with me. Paul says, before faith came, not only were we imprisoned, but we were held captive under the law. Again, imprisoned until the coming faith So, in order to accomplish this all encompassing revelation of our guilt and the far surpassing depth of God's mercy, the Lord put in place a set of boundaries for His people. And so, the law, by its God ordained nature and purpose, resulted. So you have to ask, why on earth would God imprison his people? That seems counterintuitive. But let's keep going, verse 24. Check out this example that Paul gives to explain it. He says, the law was our guardian. First the law is called a prison, and now the law is called a guardian. So in our modern culture, um, the idea of a guardian is usually a parent figure who's legally responsible for there's many legal guardians here in the room right now, and there's certainly some overlap with that idea in Paul's context. But his word in his context actually gives us more nuance that contributes in a massive way to his argument. So, in that day, in ancient Greek culture and Roman culture, the guardian the word is actually pedagogue. You guys know that word? It may be a familiar word. It Guardian or the pedagogue, the child leader, was not a teacher. In our day, maybe you've heard of piano pedagogy, someone who teaches piano. But in that day, the guardian was not a teacher, so instruction wasn't his main role. The guardian was also not a parent, so he had no right to grant status or authority to the child. In fact, the guardian was most often a slave. And the role of the guardian was to prepare and protect the child each day on their way to and from school. This was a temporary position, and it was designed to make sure that the child could successfully complete their education and come into mature adulthood. And so that was the role of the guardian in Paul's day. No doubt there would have been some instruction, some discipline, some household chores involved, all about the preservation, the preparation, and the protection of that child throughout their education. And it's in that sense here in verse 24 that Paul says the law was our guardian. But look at the next phrase. He says until until what? What does it say? Until Christ came. The law was our guardian until Christ came. Take a step back from that verse. And listen to the wording that Paul uses from 23 all the way through 25. He says, before faith came, until the coming faith, until Christ came, now that faith has come, no longer under a guardian. What do all those phrases have to do with? They're temporal, which means they have to do with a specific period. of. ancient role of the pedagogue was only necessary for a time until the child reached maturity and was now a son and heir in the family. And it's in that same sense that the law served to prepare and protect and preserve God's people for a time. In verse 19, Paul says it was because of transgressions that it was given. Because of the abounding of The Lord, in his sovereign wisdom, gave the law that his people might not be consumed and destroyed by the evil that was so pervasive. He gave the law to protect and preserve a people for his own possession, as the scriptures say. His treasured possession. And the law was serving almost like protective custody to keep those people from the path of destruction. And so quite literally, physically, the law preserved the people of Israel, the people of the promise, through the ages until the offspring should come to whom the promise was made. You guys see how that works? The law actually protected the people that they might not be destroyed from pursuing wicked things. And so what Paul is calling captivity and imprisonment, was actually like a servant put in place by God to sustain his original promise throughout the ages until the coming of the Messiah, that promised offspring, who would unveil the mystery of the gospel that had been hidden for ages when the fullness of time had come. In order that, look at verse 25, in order that we might be justified by what? saying loud and clear that the law was temporary to step back under the requirements of the law is not the path to salvation and freedom it's actually to return to that state of imprisonment the old guardian servant called the law had served its purpose and now the age of maturity in God's redemptive story is here This is like the most ultimate graduation day. The age of maturity is here. And so verse 25 says, We are no longer under that garden. Now that faith has come. More specifically, now that Jesus has come. Jesus, the founder, the finisher of our faith. The very foundation and object of our faith. Paul can sum up the word faith. Meaning, Jesus himself has come. So therefore, we're no longer under that garden. We're no longer in that protective custody. Which means, freedom! (laughs) Freedom. (laughs) Freedom! And this is what I'm so excited to talk about today as we baptize people. I want each of you, wherever you guys all are who are getting baptized, to take this freedom part sink down deep. Imprisonment under the law is discontinued by the freedom that Jesus offers. And so the end of Galatians 3 here that we just read is going to set the trajectory for the rest of the letter where Paul lays out this path of everyday freedom in Christ. And we'll get to that. We're actually going to take some time off. We'll, We'll come back to Galatians in a few weeks. But that's where we're going. Everyday freedom. How many of you feel every day like you have freedom? I don't know. There's a lot of things often that keep us constricted and constrained. But the reality is in Christ there is freedom. Now, notice. himself was a Jewish man, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, zealous for the traditions of his Jewish fathers, right? He was a man born under the law, imprisoned by it. Now, did he just magically and automatically become a Christian when Jesus was born? Who or no. no! He was a leading hater. He was a leading persecutor of anyone who followed Jesus. Something had to happen in order for Paul... that's what we're going to look at today. The pivotal moment according to Paul when the prison door is open so to speak is verse 27. Take a look at it. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Freedom from the curse of sin and the imprisonment of the law is only accessed by those who have language communicates the idea of putting on a garment, of clothing yourself in Christ. It means that you're surrounded, enveloped, more importantly, united with Christ himself. And here in verse 27, listen closely, Paul says that this putting on happens for those who are baptized into Christ. Wait a second watchdogs are paying attention, you're like, wait a second, are you saying that baptism is what saves you? And, spoiler, we're not reversing our position on this as a church. (laughs) If you've been following the whole argument of Galatians so far, the whole point of what Paul is trying to say, very clearly, is that he disagrees with the idea that any human action on our part (laughs) would save us, right? That's his whole argument. Circumcision can't save you. That's the whole crux of the matter at hand. The law can't save you. So we have to look at this phrase and say, okay, Paul's not saying that it's the literal water that you're dumped in that puts Christ on you, right? Do you see that? Does that make sense? Yes? No? It's not the literal water. It's not the act of immersion in the water that saves you water can't transfer you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. But Paul is saying that the waters of baptism, the sacrament of baptism, is so important for the Christian as an outward demonstration of the inward spiritual reality and transformation that we can actually describe a person's conversion by pointing to their baptism. The significance of baptism is emphasized in the same way in Romans 6 where Paul says all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life and so throughout Galatians 3 if you skim over it verse 9 Verse 11, verse 14, verse 24, verse 26. It's very clear that putting on Christ happens by faith. The moment your spiritual eyes are opened to the extent of your guilt before God. When your heart is pierced by the beauty of God's mercy poured out through the shedding of Christ's blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Plunge into that cleansing flow. Not the waters of baptism. But the precious blood of Jesus. The Lamb of God. Which speaks a better word. The blood of that eternal covenant. And there you repent of your sins. You place all your trust in the sufficiency of Jesus to save you. That's the moment. The same way that you crash into God's mercy. Just like the waters surround you and cover you and overtake you, so Christ himself consumes you with his presence. Just like the grave swallowed up Christ, the waters cover you and the old self is put to death. Just like the blood of Jesus cleanses you, turning your sins from scarlet to white as snow, The waters of baptism cleanse the dirt from your body. And as you come splashing up out of that pool, you're raised up with Jesus who came up out of the grave alive with power, authority, and victory. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You guys are moments away from demonstrating I said a little bit ago, to be honest, like these are the highlights of my life, really. To serve at a church as a pastor and to see someone be baptized is a highlight. But before we transition to that sacrament, I want to close by highlighting these three specific benefits of being baptized into Christ. And while they're important for each one of the people being baptized, they're just as important our lives need to be shaped by them even more. Our lives need to be sanctified by these truths all the more. The Westminster Catechism says that when we observe someone else's baptism, it helps us with the needful but much neglected duty of improving our own baptism. So let's partake in this sacrament together For those of us who've been baptized, let the Lord do that work in you of improving your baptism as you consider these benefits of being baptized into him. First of all, you are free to be sons of God. Look at verse 26. For all who are baptized into Christ, who are in Christ Jesus by faith, you are sons of God. No longer that immature little school child being brought to school by the guardian every day, day in, day out. You're no longer constrained by the old covenant. To be baptized into Christ means that you're baptized into that age of maturity in his kingdom. Now, obviously, in the natural sense, the young people still are gonna have some maturing to do, right? There's still going to be some spiritual maturity for all of us that has to take place, right? But the inauguration of the kingdom of God through Jesus' work on earth and his ascension back to heaven is a maturity in the spiritual sense that we all get to participate in. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're in the maturity of that age, right? Which still has yet to be finally matured returns. But my point is that you're no longer under that garden. You're free to act and live and walk as a son of God. And I wish we had time to go into all the depths of what that means to be sons of God. But we can't today. We do on time. But the fact is from a kingdom perspective, everyone in Christ, child or adult, is equal in status and most important features of that position is spiritual authority. Now this is the lamest illustration ever. But I want to share it anyway because it's the first thing that came to mind and it just gets it. When Buddy the Elf held as the son of that man, whether Walter knew it or not. And then he proceeds to go into the room and he starts singing the song, you're my dad and I love you. <laughs> That's what it is to walk in your position and status as a son of God. There's a boldness. There's an authority. That's my dad. I belong here. And so for you who are being baptized, Especially for you young people To grasp this reality That you are a son of God You are positionally in Christ As his son You get to go where he goes You get in Because of Jesus He says that one is with me That's my child There's an authority That comes with that But there's also a responsibility Right He entrusts you with something There is something about being a child that requires you to represent the family name, right? So when you are baptized into Christ as a son of God, you are now responsible to represent the name of Jesus. You have authority and you have responsibility to walk in boldness as God's child. But the next thing is that you are free to be of God. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male, no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of the divisions that formerly existed between Jews and Gentiles under the law that prevented the fellowship and the unity together are now removed dividing wall of hostility has been torn down as that temple veil was torn and the flesh of Jesus was also torn. You are now accepted as a person of God. You belong in his family. Is one with you. Right? There's not a million different Christs, and we're all baptized into a different one. Scripture says there's one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body. We're all baptized into each other as we're baptized into Christ. So you belong. Even when others make you feel like you don't, even when the enemy brings condemnation and makes you feel like in the family of God because of Jesus. And you are clothed with him by faith. And so, you know, sadly, the uh, media has been so quiet lately regarding ethnic harmony and racial reconciliation because nothing bad that the media doesn't report on, but my point is that as a church where individuals from all tribes, tongues, nations, languages are baptized together into one, we should always be concerned about that harmony. We should always be concerned about that unity. It's not something that ebbs and flows with the media and current events. It's something that we strongly Desire In this church In this neighborhood And if you spend some time walking around this neighborhood There is a very significant lack In that harmony The neighbors are not ashamed To voice their disapproval Of those who are different from them But that will not be the case In this church Because if you're baptized into Christ We belong one to another Which means we honor those who are different. It means we celebrate those who are different. The unity doesn't remove the diversity. The unity happens amidst the diversity. That's part of the picture of Revelation is that the diversity is a beautiful picture of God's creativity. And so for this church as you're baptized into Christ you're now responsible for upholding the honor Your neighbor as yourself Because each belongs In the family of God As he has put on Christ And I want to say a word of encouragement To the church Let's grow in this And I'm not even talking about Ethnic harmony And racial reconciliation In general Let's grow in our unity Because I still hear reports So and so did this So and so did that Let's grow Because we're baptized into one body in Jesus. The last thing is that you are free when you're baptized into Christ to be his heir. Verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Your inheritance in Christ, and remember Ephesians says, you Now have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ. What a massive inheritance. But that inheritance is wrapped up so securely in the steadfast eternal promise that God the Father made to God the Son through the family of Abraham. That you can (laughs) bank on that inheritance can trust that the Lord will be faithful to bring you into that inheritance fully one day. Because Christ is the promised offspring through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so, as an heir of the king, not only do you get to participate in the inheritance that he's won, for our inheritance give us the lost, right? You get to participate In that blessing to the world. Christ's inheritance of all those who have come to him in faith, he shares that with you. Because he sends you out to be a part of it, right? You get to participate in blessing the world. It means that you have no lack. Regardless of what you can see and feel now and physical, you have no lack. Everything that God desires to accomplish through you is provided for, and he will accomplish it through you as you obey him in faith. He is wise as he invests in his servants, Matthew 25. And he is faithful to bring it to pass when you trust him. So, as God's child, you have significance. As a person in the family of God, you have acceptance. And as an heir of the king, you have security. We're no longer a Responsibility, with everything that we need provided for. And so my word of encouragement to you guys being baptized is to take those three blessings to heart and to live from them. Jesus has won the victory, and he has so freely provided the grace that you need in these particular ways. Let's pray, and then we'll transition into the baptism. so thank you just a cliche or just something that we think about once in a blue moon, but that we would take up the authority that you've given us, take up the responsibility that you've given us, rouse ourselves as Isaiah says to go after the inheritance that you have won and share it with us. Lord, would you help us with that? Spirit, just stir up with Deal to live as your sons, unified with one another. Oh Lord, would you forgive us for the lack of unity that happens so often? And the tensions. Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us to honor one another, to uphold spill out of the doors of this church into the neighborhood where there is division and hatred and anger and rivalry. Those are the fruits of the flesh. Yet the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Lord, would you bear those fruits in this church? Would you start with us? Bear those fruits with us.
1: Motion back there. That's just kids coming down. It's important for even our young ones to observe what's taking place in these moments. Even in the Old Testament, when they would do the Passover meal together, it was important to have the young ones there to observe. So that the little kids would say, "What in the world is happening right now?" And it would give the adults the opportunity to explain it to them. So it's important. Once again, just to lay the groundwork for, for our time, I, I encourage you uh, don't disconnect from the moment right now. Uh, maybe, perhaps, even lean in all the more uh, to this moment. Uh, but again, this need, there's nothing saving in these in this water. It's nice and. Stands on the throne of my life anymore. Self-esteem, I just push on it a little bit, is not the goal of my life. I'm dying to my sense of self-worth so that I can live according to the work that I have in Jesus. I'm dying to self, flesh, sin, dying to death. I'm renouncing Satan.
2: this beautiful young life who is was so Now committed to you. She's now decided that she wants to be yours, Lord. Yours because you first knew her before the beginning of the world. So, Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you would be with her, Lord, as she grows in stature and wisdom. We, will this, Lord, but we ask also, Lord, that you protect her, Lord. Protect her from the evil one who will still lies and tell her that In this world, are better than you. So protect her, Lord. Be with her and guide her through life. We pray that you would just um, bless her in so many ways, um, that she would walk in a way that would be what you want for her.
3: she will learn the places she will travel the people she will meet Lord I thank you for every provision it's just going to be given to her right in our hands provided every cent, every way Lord we thank you for the ministry that is in this child and we thank you for the tenderness that she feels from the Holy Spirit the sensitivity to your voice. Let that voice always lead her. Let that voice always carry her. Let that voice always guide her in her journey. city dweller because of her passion for urban America and just being in cities and people in the urban areas that she will touch in the future. So we speak life, the power of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, protection over her life. Now for the future, we thank you for the people who are going to come and be attached to this child that they are holy people, sanctified people, safe people, good people, filled with the greatness of the Lord. And in turn, we thank you for the people that Natalie will touch as a result of what the Lord has placed upon her life. Lord, we thank you that there is power in this child, that there is revelation, resurrection power, and she's not going to be afraid to speak in front of many. So we we speak public speaking, public knowledge, and that her voice will be heard, and they will heed to what she has to say. We thank you, Lord, that it shall. outside of the norm Lord and it's because of how you made him fearfully and wonderfully we thank you for his life and those he will touch with his radical amazing spirit and it's by the spirit of the living God he professes you and he will profess it amongst many who will be one through his ministry in Jesus' name.
1: I just
4: Other I
3: overwhelming him. That same anointing that David from the Bible, the psalmist David, is upon your life. So today, Tristan, I call you David. And in the name of Jesus, we thank him for all the instruments that you're going to know so The songs that you will write and they will be used in international and national worship. I dare speak that over you because it will come to pass. I thank you that your gift is a supernatural gift given to you by God alone, Yahweh. From your mother's womb. Will develop it. So today we establish you as David. I come against any spirit of retaliation, confusion, or anything that may want to attack upon your life. Any spirits of deception, they go in Jesus' name. Spirits of confusion, they go in Jesus' name. We speak the peace that surpasses all understanding to guide your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. It shall
5: Thank you.
2: Turn from them now and strengthen your own sisters with her going through the same thing. We pray this. Uh, you would do that for her, Lord. You would bless her. Bless her. Watch her steps, Lord. Keep her from, from any kind of going back to the past. But instead, move her forward and she would now strengthen her sisters.
1: It's hit me. What a day. Yes, sir. There, there's all kinds of significance to September 11th, right? Yes, sir. There's great tragedy connected with it. You make of that what it is for you, I don't know, but it certainly was a work of the enemy. A work of the enemy. Not that America is God's, you know, Chosen people, the Jews, or something like that. You know, I'm not trying to get political that, that way. But nonetheless, that's what he brings. He's a, he's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. But today we celebrated life. Hallelujah. Today we celebrated the one who has swallowed up death forever. So, God, we bless you. We bless your resurrection life. We, brought, we bless life and life in abundance as you grant it. Not in just a dribble effect, but in full, <laughs> full-on immersion, uh, you give us resurrection life. And so we thank you for it. We thank you for the food that we're about to have. And Lord, bless the game. And, and just bless our fellowship with Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise and peace. Woo-hoo.